Welcome to the Picture Books to Gang podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Corey. I'm Kelly, and we are the Picture Books to Gang. We invite you to join us here every other week while we discuss amazing books and issues in children's literature, as well as early literacy, education, and parenting as it relates to reading. We can't wait to dig in deep and get nerdy about picture books with you. And welcome back to another episode of Picture Books to Gang. I am so excited to introduce another special guest for this week's internet chat, Delisha Mitchell. Delisha is a curriculum specialist who specializes in SEL or social emotional learning. She is also a member of our Bookstagram group and just wrote a book list for PBS. We are with an actual celebrity, folks. I personally am super thrilled to finally be able to chat like sort of face to face. I can definitely see faces in my screen. And of course, along with Delisha are my two other brilliant co-hosts, Kelly and Ale. Hello. Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant and (laughs) Ale. Yeah. Delisha, we're all so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here, and like you said, to finally see faces. Yeah. Yeah, faces. So I think we're just going to hop into the burning questions on all of our minds right now and just sort of see where all this conversation ends up. So what made you initially get involved with Bookstagram in the first place? So last summer, I was still like in a teaching contract. So I have summers off. So I always try to catch up on all the books that I thought I would read during the school year that I don't. So I was kind of snooping around on like some of my favorite authors pages. And then I was looking at hashtags and saw something called Bookstagram and I had no clue what it was. I was like, okay. And then when I clicked on it, it was like, like, what is all of this? All of these pictures and books and reviews and all of these different things. So I started initially using Bookstagram like for my personal page, just to like figure out what books I should go check out at the library for like adult reads. And then eventually I came across like the kid lit picture book site. And being that like I was already working with elementary school students, it just clicked. So I lurked around on my personal page for a while before I created my own but I actually saw Corey's page was like one of the first pages that I followed. And from there, I started like internet stalking all of y'all just a little bit until <laughs> I decided to start. I'm like, just a little bit, but until I decided to start my own page. And I was like, I think I should do this. I think I should really get all the way in there and not just like watch from behind the curtain kind of. So that's what really drew me in just seeing like authors talking to I don't want to say like regular people, but you know, like talking to just everybody on the internet and publishers. And I was like, oh, this is really cool to interact in this community in a like fun, not so drama filled way. You know, social media can be that way sometimes, but Bookstagram for the most part has been like a really cool, chill place. Fingers crossed it stays that way. At least on the kid lit side. Yeah, Yeah. I think that might be part of it. There's not a lot to get angry about with picture books most of the time. Right. I'm I'm also laughing a bit because because Corey was one of the first people that I noticed on Bookstagram as well. Such an influencer. Such an influencer. influencer. For real though, I get like an adrenaline adrenaline rush every time like an author and illustrator comments or likes one of my posts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Such a big deal. I honestly screen (laughs) like I screenshot them and save them. I know. I'm always like, be cool. Be cool, Ali. Act like this is normal. I kind of want to print them off and frame them, but then I feel too far. I definitely, uh, this is this is the one like small cocoa brag for the evening. I legitimately teared up when Ibram Kendi started following. So the tiny activist, like wow. legitimately, That's... I was. We need to write like cool levels, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like levels of bookstagram. That's a big deal. That's a really big big deal. deal. Mm -hmm. And so, Delisha, you said that you started looking with your personal page, and now you have your book page. And can you talk a little bit about what it is and tell us what it is so people can follow you and then also the origin of your account name? Yeah. So I'm at Little Black Book Nook. 
I, it's funny because a lot of people like assume that my page was named like after me like finding black books, but like, of course, I'm looking for books that are written by black authors and have black cop um, characters. But like initially, I just wanted to find diverse books that were focused on like BIPOC, so the whole, you know, people of color, and then like topics that people weren't talking about as much, which tend to be like the mental health, social, emotional, um, any topics that weren't like just already out there. So that was kind of my initial goal. And then like, honestly, I was just like, I really want to get like, you know, books from publishers and be able to like share and help people know what good books are and what good books aren't. <laughs> Most importantly. <Very> important. <laughs> but in my, at my house, I have a loft and I just have like one of those huge Ikea bookshelves and it's black. And so I have like floor pillows and it's just kind of where I chill and read books. So when I was trying to think of a name, I tried a couple others, like right when I started my page, when you change your name, like every 52 seconds, but <laughs> I landed on Little Black Book Nook because I was like, it's, you know, my bookshelf, my book nook area, it's black. Let's just keep it simple and stick with it. So that's kind of how it started. But from there, I feel like after I started finding um, different books, I started focusing more on social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. I just kind of grew from there so that I could kind of focus on those two things because there's so many great accounts and so many great books out that I was like I kind of want to focus on one or two main areas so those things are near and dear to my heart and kind of what I was already doing at the time was uh, I was a social emotional learning coach so kind of worked for me to stay with that and focus on books that could help teachers and parents in that area so that kind of helped with developing the whole feel for a little black book nook. So important. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about why you initially got interested in SEL? Also, I'm really, if you can share details about what it means to be a social emotional learning coach, because I think yeah. that is probably like an unfamiliar term to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to say like, I was doing social emotional learning like in my classroom before I knew what it was like I'm from rural South Georgia and my mom is very like I'll give you the clothes off my back kind of person to help you so I feel like when I first got in the classroom you know your first year you don't really know what you're doing at all That's so true facts so I was kind of just copying what everybody <laughs> else was doing um for like behavior management and it wasn't working um, I was like trying to bribe, like I'm just being completely honest. I was trying to like bribe kids to, you know, <laughs> do this and you'll get that. And it just, it was a big mess. So I started reading up on um, how to, you know, work on like more intrinsic and getting them to feel like motivated to do what's right and teaching them how to actually, you know, cope with how they're feeling and big behaviors and creating like class agreements and all those things and that started working so I was like oh I think I'm on to something but like I seriously didn't really know what it was but it was working so when I moved to Oregon um, my first job here was working as a social emotional learning coach and that's when I got like my official like formal training so um, I had training in like trauma-informed care I had a little bit of training in like the brain science part of like what happens when you get upset or you get afraid or you get, you know, that, how like, all the things that happen in your brain response. when you're feeling yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I started getting training on all those things. I'm like, wow, this is a legit thing. This isn't just, you know, oh, if you talk about your feelings, everything will be better. Like there's actually like the wiring of your brain and why we behave and respond in the ways that we do. So after I got the training in that, I was like, this is this is for me like this is an area that I really enjoy um at that point I wasn't like a classroom teacher I was working with teachers so as the social emotional learning coach role went I was more of a coach so I would have a schedule I would go into classrooms to support teachers I would uh, model lessons sometimes or help them um, I guess kind of be like a, I don't want to say a bridge, but maybe between them and the student to kind of talk about how both of them are feeling, helping like the student convey how they're feeling about being in the classroom if there's an issue and then the teacher sharing about, you know, how they're feeling about some of the behaviors mm -hmm. that they're seeing from the student in the classroom and helping them like learn how to have a conversation about it. 
instead of teachers just punishing or kids just reacting right. <laughs> in big ways. Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of how I got into that. And it was one of the most rewarding, sometimes stressful, just because, you know, emotions and dealing with that all day. But I think at the end of the day, when you like learn how to communicate with children in a way that puts their voices in the forefront and you're not trying to control them, but instead uh, like actually trying to understand them and see where they're coming from. It has been super helpful, like growing how I think about it, but also like seeing teachers go from like very rigid and strict and everything needs to be this way to being like, well, why do you think we should do it this way? Or, or what should we do? So kind of giving up some of that control and then like noticing that like, oh, this is actually going better now. I'm not having a power struggle every morning because I want backpacks up this way and I want the paper turned this way and the name in the corner and all the little things that we sometimes want done in the perfect way so mm-hmm. yeah it's difficult to things. give up control sometimes though so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah it was a big transition like I said I'm from South Georgia so we know sometimes like southern <laughs> roots it's very like adult driven and you do as you're told I think, though, that coming from being in the classroom myself, I think that a lot of people who are afraid to give up any power to their students, that comes part of an an insecurity in their own power. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that, and I feel this way, too, like, with my own kid, when she's just like, my socks, they have a thing on the inside. And then she's just flipping out. And I'm like... I, I have to be in control, but right. I don't know what to do about your right. socks. All the socks are this way. It's like that fear of like, okay, I'm the adult. I need to have this, you know. Yeah. Like, get this together. But like sometimes we just got to let it go. Sometimes <laughs> we have to admit to our kids or our students that sometimes we just don't know. Why do you want it yes. that way? I don't even know why I want it that way. Right. <laughs> Right. That moment of like, oh, I guess we could do it a different way. Mm, Yeah. So for some of our listeners who might be still, you know, unfamiliar with social emotional learning, Delisha, can you sort of explain the basic tenets of social emotional learning in general? Yeah. So a lot of people think it's just like emotions and feelings, but it's so much more than that. I always feel like that's kind of like the basic part of it is just helping kids learn how to regulate their emotions. But some of the like more important parts are self-awareness. So just helping them to like identify how they're feeling about things, how they relate to other people, gaining empathy, feeling empowered to use their voices. So that's kind of one of the things self-awareness is really big. With that also goes social awareness. So I always think of it like With the social justice piece, it goes right into social emotional learning because if you're not including that part of it and helping them be aware of those around them and how what they do impacts others and how to like lend their voices to support others, that's another huge part of it. Another one, responsible decision making. We all know (laughs) it takes practice (laughs) to learn how to make good decisions. So sometimes, you know, we get like behavior problems as we call them. Um, But it's like a second grader and it's like, well, you know, we probably didn't make all the right decisions when we were in second grade either. So helping them like learn how to practice making good decisions or like thinking through if you do this, (laughs) what happens next? Or you have another option. You could do this. And what do you think happens next? So walking them kind of through that part. There's uh, the relationship building piece, which is super important. So like friendships and like having healthy relationships. In that component, also place things like consent and like how to, you know, Mm -hmm. agree with people, but also understand that you have the right to not agree with people. Mm -hmm. And I think for adults, that's a hard one, too. (laughs) So like teaching teaching kids that like, no, you don't have to hug everybody or you don't have to give a high five or even sometimes like not wanting to brush your teeth or not wanting to brush your hair and like helping them know why they should instead of like forcing them (laughs) to do it um, is an important part of that too. So those are just a few of them, but a lot of times I use, um, it's the collaborative for uh, academic social and emotional learning. They're like one of the kind of leaders in the field and they have like five core competencies and they're like broken down to the T 
And I actually think they're in the process of adding a equity or a diversity piece to it, which I'm really excited about because that was something that I did feel like was kind of, you know, lacking in that component. Like I said, in my mind, I put it in social awareness because that just makes sense to me. But I think now they're like working to make sure that it's, you don't have to yeah. think like, oh yeah, maybe it goes here. It's like, no, it's part of social emotional learning too. Bring, so Bring it to the forefront instead of making it nuanced. Right. So I'm excited yeah. to kind of see how that works out. But yeah, social emotional learning it isn't just the fluffy feelings and everything. It's like really getting kids to understand. I always think of it like holistically how to be a good person and live a healthy life and be happy because at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't sound good to say as a former teacher, but like academics for me have always been like, I mean, of course I want you to be smart and understand. But like at the end of the day, if you're really smart, but like you have no friends, you have no (laughs) connection to people, you don't feel good about yourself. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, how successful can you be as a human being that feels fulfilled (laughs) and happy and, you know, good about their life if you have no social skills or or emotional health, um, no matter how smart you are. Right. That's one of the things, like, coming out of the pandemic, unfortunately, social-emotional learning has just exploded. Everybody's like, give me, give it to me. We want it now. Like in the past, it was kind of like, no, we really need to focus on academics. They have to get math. They have to get, now they're like, all right, <laughs> what was that? What was that you were talking about again? <laughs> we need some help with that. <laughs> so hopefully that's one positive thing that'll come out of this is a little bit more attention to that with children. And building the habit of teaching it even after the pandemic. Right. And how it's embedded in everything. Ends. Yeah. Right not just like Absolutely. time for social emotional learning you know like it's embedded in everything that you do I really hope so yeah fingers crossed yeah <laughs> I I'm glad that you brought up the pandemic because I think that this is I it really irritates me when people think are like this is a turning point like it's probably not a turning point just because you <laughs> thought of something doesn't mean it's a turning point for the world <laughs> but do you what sort of do you think are the implications for social emotional learning because of the pandemic like positive and negative um, I mean I know right now just from like working from home and a lot of my coworkers have their kids at home with them and they're trying to juggle working full time and having their kids at home full time and being a teacher when they never had to be a teacher before. I think one side of it is that like parents are very stressed right now. Like there's a lot of external stressors. Um, you know, some people aren't working as many hours or there's like sickness in the family, so they're having to care for, you know their parents or family members that are sick and they're having to still work and some people are having to work harder than they did before the pandemic. So juggling all of that puts a lot of extra stress on parents, which also puts a lot of stress on kids because if your parents are stressed and triggered, then they can feel it. You know, even if you're trying your best to not, you know, be extra, um, I guess, sensitive to their needs, like you're not reacting in the same way because you're kind of already you've used all of your executive functioning skills just trying to get through work for the day. So by the time they come along needing help, or maybe they're having big feelings too, some parents are just kind of, you know, over it a little bit. So I think on the negative side, there's like a lot of extra stressors there for parents that trickle down to kids. And then there are a lot of kids, especially like school age kids who are grieving the, you know, loss of their friendships and stuff, because if They don't live in a community that they're able to ride bikes or go for a walk with their friends in the neighborhood. Some of them haven't seen their friends since March, and that's super tough. And if you're an only child, or even if you just have one sibling, that's still super tough. Like, you want to see your friends. So I think that on the negative side, there's a lot of loneliness. I know that the statistics for depression is just going up, anxiety. So... I am concerned about, you know, as we go into the new year, it's going to be almost a full year of this kind of socially distanced experience for not just adults, but children, what that's going to lead to. I hope that we have some like supports put in place by the time that they do go back to school or maybe before that, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of hard to tell right now. 
on the other side, the positive side, I have seen actually even someone from our books the game group talk about like a lot of parents are excited to be with their children more though. Before the hustle bustle of waking up, gotta get to work, take your kid to school. You don't see them again until like six or seven in the evening, making dinner, put them to bed, start over. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents are like really happy to have the opportunity to be there or be in the next room or like take a lunch break with them or help them with, you know, whatever schoolwork they have and feeling like more connected in that way. And some families mm-hmm. too are saying they're getting to slow down a little bit and like enjoy those moments as a family together. So it's a little bit of a balancing act, I'm sure. Like I can't imagine um, how some families are working through it. It's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I just nodding that, the whole time you're talking because it's yeah. like, yes, all the good, all the bad, all at one time. Right. And, you know, I have an only child who hasn't seen another child since March. Right. And, yeah. you know, no matter what I do, I can't replace friends. Right. <laughs> you're like, I can be like as fun as possible, but I can't be your friend. No. Like in that way. Even if you're wearing matching leggings, you are still not another four-year-old. Right. We do have a lot of pairs of matching leggings. (laughs) And I mean, Allie Allie has two kids, but again, it's not the same thing. And then I'm sure they like get tired of each other too. They do get tired (laughs) of each other. Yeah. Uh, But you know what? I'm one of those people that I kind of go from, this is wonderful to this is horrible and it needs to end. But like in the space of 20 minutes. So I'm like going back and forth. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how I feel. Right. Let's keep them right. home forever. Let's send them away forever. <laughs> I need some social emotional learning, I think. That's Man, this, this, this pandemic has pushed all of us uh, to really get in tune with those skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I need a tutorial, some books. You've got lots of books, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think she has a few Actually, on that, on that exact note, I'll, I'll slip in with a, a question. Do you have some recommendations for books for parents about social emotional learning um, in terms of like harnessing some parenting techniques? Yeah. So I guess I would say I'm not a parent yet. So I just tend to read <laughs> more books about the science behind it or, um, Focusing on some of those things. So I don't have like specific, I guess, parenting books. Even, yeah, the science behind it all ties in. So I would say one of my favorite ones is called The Whole Brain Child. And it's also my my favorite. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, I love that book. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's one of the books I read when I like first started my like formal training Mm -hmm. and just reading it and learning about the brain science behind it. I'm a little bit of a nerd. So that really resonated with me, but also as a teacher or a parent, when you're frustrated to the max with behavior, because like being honest, we all get overwhelmed too and get upset that they just won't do what we want them to do, or they won't stop. When you can ground it in science that like, oh, their brain is still developing and they haven't learned how to do this yet. It's so much easier to have empathy for them. Yeah. So I feel like that book for me just made me be so much more empathetic when I was working with students who were having tantrums or, you know, like flipping desks or throwing things, just saying, man, I know this has to be exhausting and you don't want to do this. Like who would want to do all of this? (laughs) Nobody. I wouldn't want to. So I think that book is just like one of those first books that I read and it was kind of eye opening to be like, oh, that makes sense. Like their brain, they're not talking the logical part of the brain and the emotional part of the brain are not on speaking terms right now. (laughs) They cannot get it together. So it's not their fault. Like we want to blame them, but it's like, oh, they're they're not talking. So it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we can like remove that stuff and just be more empathetic and try to help them think through it. Like, well, what happened? What can we do to help you feel better instead of stop it? (laughs) Because that always works. No, the, like those have been like my parenting Bibles is all of Dan Siegel's books. So hearing mm-hmm. you say that's one of the ones that you love the most just feels very validating. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm on the right path. <laughs> my, yeah, my, my um, the, whole, the whole brain child in particular, just like for our listeners as well, it's, it's one of those books that I feel like it breaks down so many things in such a super understandable way. Like Delisha just talking about it, like I'm nerdy and I love the science behind it, but I think... <laughs> 
one of the things about that book is that it's not actually very intimidating to understand mm-hmm. all of the concepts in that book. So it actually is a right. really good starting book when you're talking about mindfulness right. with kids and 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 how the brain actually works and all those executive functions. So yeah. Right. And if you like Google um, flipping your lid, they have like the whole thing where you can learn about the brain, like using your hand and folding it down and it kind of replicates how the brain works. So there's a lot of like ways that you can learn about it, even with kids. Like I've taught kids about it and they'll be like, I'm flipping my lid, Miss Mitchell. And I'll be like, okay, all right, what do you need? (laughs) What do you need? (laughs) So we can like bring the lid back down. So even teaching my kids about it is a good, you know, at a certain age, they're ready to learn about it. And they're like, my emotional brain is not talking to my logical brain right now. So I need some help. And just giving them like the language to speak to it. I mean, some adults are still working on that. So I think it's good for us to practice (laughs) with kids if we know that like we're still working on it sometimes. Yeah. What age Mm -hmm. would you say that you start talking about that with it's like, Six, five, four. I mean, my god, my goddaughter is four. She just turned four. So my best friend started with her maybe when she was two, just identifying it for like for her. So if she's crying, saying, You look sad right now, are you feeling sad? So it can start is like that simple. So we wouldn't like start with the brain science or two, but we can definitely start like <laughs> identifying like, you look sad right now. You look so excited. You look surprised. How are you feeling? Like giving them that emotional vocabulary first and then yeah. from there, just growing it. And they'll start saying it like, I'm so surprised right now <laughs> or I'm so <laughs> sad right now because you took my toy or you made me clean up my toys or, you know, all the different reasons that they could be feeling that way. Yeah. So we just try like, no matter what emotion comes out, especially if it catches us off guard, like the first thing we do is you look like X right now. And are you maybe crying because of this? And maybe you can tell me why that is. And so we just try to name it. And and now at four years old, four and a half years old is now what we're starting to see more of the effect of it coming back at us where, right. you know, an emotion explosion will happen but then it's like Mm -hmm. i am feeling very angry and i am crying (laughs) yeah yeah because sometimes like kids will shut down and you really have no clue what's wrong you're Mm -hmm. like like like, what happened and they're just you know like full shutdown mode so the more we can give them the emotional vocabulary to like tell us what happened and what's wrong it's easier for us to help them (laughs) at that point because we know like i am angry because you know i broke my toy or whatever Mm -hmm. it is Um, And we can work on helping them solve that problem. Whereas if they can't even tell us what's wrong, we have a long way to go (laughs) to help them because we don't even know what happened at that point. So yeah, for sure using that. Another book I wanted to mention, um, it's from Alfie Kahn, um, Punished by Rewards. So that's also one of my favorites. And it talks more about what I was saying I did my first year of teaching, which is like basically try to bribe kids into being good (laughs) until I realized that doesn't work for long. So um, that book is really good because it just talks about like, not only do teachers and parents do it, but like even like our jobs in corporate America, like you'll get a raise if you do this or you'll get this. So like at the end of the day saying like, we really have to focus on the intrinsic values of like what motivates people, why should they care about what we're trying to teach them? If it, I mean, if they're not that engaged with it or they aren't participating in it, then a lot of times it's a signal for us, not for them, like to do it because we said so, but for us to say, how can we make this better? How can we make it more engaging? How can we involve them in their learning? So I have a lot of friends that are doing um, homeschool right now and they're going through that right now. It's like, I created this fun activity and my kid doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, well, I mean, Did you like include things that they're interested in? Maybe like have them help you create the activity. And they're like, they're three. I'm like, try it out though. Like maybe if they were included in it, like, but I think it's like the part as an adult, like the control of like setting out things how we want and it looks so neat and nice and Pinterest ready. Oh yeah. (laughs) But um, kiddos don't care about Pinterest ready. (laughs) They really don't. And I learned that the hard way teaching and as a parent, especially when you see 
beautiful stuff like rainbow rice you guys know how i right. feel about rainbow rice <laughs> it's all perfect and then they hate rainbow rice <laughs> for like two minutes and you're vacuuming it literally six months later and they play with it for two minutes and it's like what why is everybody else's kid playing with this what have i done wrong you know right. <laughs> Everyone's lying. Right. Nobody plays with rainbow rice for longer than 90 <laughs> seconds unless they can make a volcano, a like explosion or like fireworks and then right. you're vacuuming it up for. Okay, but you know what they actually do really like? Water beads, which are water beads are awesome. Those are I great. Like, yeah, I like water beads. They're even. really good. <laughs> but I I was like, you know they say on the package good for 2 to 3 days. I was like I'm sure this is good for at least two weeks. What is this package? So we put it outside for like a week and a half, and it turns into slime. Mm-hmm. And I found that out the oh, hard way. That's, <laughs> my toddler just. Well, I mean, that's it. like a new. That's like a new thing to play with. <laughs> it is, it is, it's like somebody exercised a ghost from Ghostbusters in my yard. That's what it's like. <laughs> We're ready for Halloween. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> leave it up for Halloween for sure. <sighs> Free slime bucket. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> so Dilly shit, thank you for talking about those adult resources. What would be some of the books that you use to demonstrate sort of the importance of SEL to students? Oh, I have like so many favorites, but I'm going to try to narrow it down to like just a few of my favorite favorites. So I think the first one is Rabbit, The Rabbit Listens. And I really like that one because as adults, we just try to fix it and we don't listen a lot of times. I'm like preaching to the choir. So like when I was working at schools, I would be like, what do you, like, what do you, what's wrong? What do you need? Like, just come take some deep breaths, come sit over here, do this, do that. You need a calming jar. Do you like just trying to give all of these things instead of just saying, would you like to talk about it? (laughs) And just sitting there. And once I like, I would just sit there because a lot of times, like when you're upset, even as an adult, you're like, I don't want to talk about it. But just sitting there and saying, okay, well, I'm here whenever you do want to talk about it. Sometimes just like that pause for like five minutes and then realizing like, oh, they're still there and not talking to me. They're just sitting here can like open them up to start talking. So in the rabbit list and it's like basically these little stuffed animals keep coming to the I think it's a little girl playing with blocks and then her blocks collapse and so she has a moment because you know you work hard you build your tower and it collapsed and so all these little stuffed animals keep coming up to her like trying to fix it like well why don't you just build it again why don't you do this why don't you do that all of this unsolicited advice <laughs> so eventually this little bunny rabbit like comes and it just like sits there I think it like leans on her a little bit and then she starts like talking to the bunny rabbit saying I worked so hard on this I'm frustrated and it didn't say anything I think the whole time honestly and so she eventually is like you know what I think I am going to rebuild it and she rebuilds it I just think it's like a really good reminder um, that we shouldn't always try to fix other people's problems sometimes we just like need to listen and I always say like I've learned so many like adult lessons from picture books. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's a good lesson for kids to like listen. But even with adults, like sometimes you just need a listening ear, not um, someone to like solve the problem for you before you can even like get out how you're feeling. They're already like throwing off a list of things to do to feel better. And sometimes you're not ready to feel better yet. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes you got to wallow. Uh, right. To be able to, <laughs> you know, kind of work through it. So I would definitely say um, that that's one of my favorite. I love the, um, what is it, Ruby Finds a Worry, and there's like two others. Robbie, Robbie's Roar and... Um, Misha, no, it's like three. is the other one Misha Makes Friends or something? Maybe. They're, they're all like similar mm-hmm. but different like emotions. So I do love all of those because they like acknowledge that how emotions can like come in out of nowhere sometimes and then they do kind of follow you and stay with you and you're like trying to ignore them and I think that's like a good way for kids to think about it because sometimes they don't even know what's wrong you know like you're like what's wrong how can I help you and they're just not sure they're just not feeling like themselves yet so just helping them like think through that process um those three and then um 
I think it's called When Sadness Comes, maybe. It's by Eva Leland. I really should have looked at these names so I had them ready. We'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> so we'll work it out and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, but When Sadness Comes is like um, a little one opens the door and it's like a little blob. That's sadness. <laughs> so it like comes in and has a seat beside the kid. And then the kid kind of like works through it. So it like draws, listens to some music, takes a nap, and sadness is kind of there with it. And by the end of the book, the kid's feeling better and it leaves. But I like that it showed that you don't have to rush feelings away. Sometimes you do need to just sit with them yeah. and get comfortable, mm-hmm. settle in for a while. And then at some point, of course, say, okay, it's time, you know, feeling better. It's time for you to go. <laughs> But of course, they'll be back at some point, but just helping them kind of work through um, feelings and knowing, like, most importantly, that there are no bad feelings. Like, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be embarrassed or it's okay to be surprised. Like, all of these are just emotions that come in. They roll in and we can roll them back out too. But, like, sometimes we can make kids feel that if they're angry, that they're bad. Like, I'm bad because I'm always angry. And that's Mm -hmm. something that was brought to my attention, like I said, when I worked with a lot of students, is that they felt like, I'm so angry all the time. Like, I'm bad because I get angry. And it's like, well, no, everybody gets angry. Um, It's just more about learning um, the skills needed to, like, manage our bodies when we're angry and what we do when we're angry so that we're um, not harmful to others or to ourselves. So, yeah, those are my favorites for sure. Any of them that kind of doesn't have someone else solving the problem for them usually and those that like allow the emotion to come and go and not like rush it away because I think it's just an important message for kids to hear because sometimes I feel like we make them think that they should be happy all the time and like we all know that's not that's not normal like no one's happy like 100 percent of the time no No. it's not and I think there was a book that Ally has received a copy of at some point and we will not name names but it has a line somewhere along the lines of you should just always feel glad mm-hmm. and um, no matter how <laughs> somebody's making you feel and no but I mean I think it's like really legitimate like it ruined the entire experience it was right. um, like a problematic book. toxic positivity it, yeah right <laughs> that is toxic positivity uh, yeah. Actually, I read a really good one. I don't know if any of you got it from Viking, um, the Happy Book. No, no, no I saw you. It's not on your It's page, so good, right? But it was so weird too because it's like <laughs> in his own head, and there's a trombone that follows him around. I don't know, but basically, it's like all my feelings can live, and that's totally okay, and I can just be sad as part of me. And I feel like when I was a kid, that wasn't a thing. You know, yeah. it was like you have to overcome your feelings to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. I think what you said about anger too, Delicia, is super insightful because especially for people who are raised female, then anger is particularly demonized and there's mm-hmm. such an emphasis on being quote unquote good and feeling like you have to be mm-hmm. perfect. And part of that is the toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am working through that now. <laughs> <laughs> We're all from childhood, you know, just feeling, I, yeah, recovering, recovering toxic positivity. Person. Well, and you know, to, to Corey's point, I think when when you have a female experience, you uh, get told on the street, just smile and things like that. And male presenting humans don't get that Mm -hmm. so um so you you feel bad when you're not smiling and sometimes you just don't want to smile right and then they make a term for people who don't smile (laughs) like that's you know (laughs) yes (laughs) so we have issues with that term right Um, (laughs) or like you look mean like okay And also, (laughs) unfortunately, being told to smile is some of the nicer things that I have been told on the street by strangers. So I could complain about the patriarchy all the live long day, but (laughs) instead, I would much (laughs) rather talk about new releases that you're super excited about coming out. So I have a pile of books right now. (laughs) 
we all have a pile of books <laughs> that I am uh, eager to get to. But I am really excited about reading um, Class Act by Jerry Craft. I read New mm-hmm. Kid. I was a little late to the game with that one. So I read that one actually maybe just a couple months back. It's a graphic novel. Um, I've been really trying to read more graphic novels because I've talked about it a little bit, but my niece is a little bit of a reluctant reader and she's in middle school. So that's what kind of pushes me into the middle school lane a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So she's really into art. So I've been working hard to find more uh, graphic novels. So I'm super excited um, about reading that one and planning to gift her both at the same time. So it's like, you don't even have to wait. <laughs> you just read one and hop right into the next one. So I know that one just came out recently. Um, I'm excited about, uh, I haven't read Julian at the wedding yet. <laughs> I'm oh, eagerly oh, waiting that one. So beautiful. He's seeing it on everyone's page and I actually have mm-hmm. it, but like I said, I, I'm excited about this upcoming weekend, just catching up on all of the new releases that like I wanted and now I have them literally in my house. <laughs> I just haven't been <laughs> all of able them. To. It's like when you have the boxes of Christmas presents and you're just like, oh gosh, when is Christmas? <laughs> but I have them and I'm an adult. They're mine. I can open it, but I kind of like cherish them and wait like, okay, here's the perfect moment. I have time to focus on this with no interruptions. So That's I'm super restrained. excited about those. <laughs> I know I'm like disciplined. I'm like, I have time set aside for you. <laughs> I'm excited about those two. And if you can believe, I still haven't read Jabari Tries either. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm I confessing have it, like, that I haven't either. What? I, I have it too. I just haven't gotten to it yet. And I'm so excited. And I feel like such a dingus that I haven't read it. I like when I want to like cover my face in shame right but I'm so excited and I even have it out of the box like it's getting closer to me I'm like okay now I open it it's out of the box it's on the desk so next thing you know it'll be open the foot of your bed so you'll just get up stand right in front of it (laughs) well a little book just slowly going we will use this opportunity to plug the fact that Gaia Cornwall is actually coming on the podcast in a few weeks so Ooh, that's so exciting. Stay tuned for that. Yes. Yay. So, yeah, everybody can stay excited. in for that. But yes, it's uh, there's so 2020 has actually had so many amazing picture yes. book releases. And then, yeah. of course, we are all in a group that is judging a best picture right. books of the year awards. <laughs> so now we have literally 200 books in piles in all of our houses that we're all trying to um yeah judge so it is hard to get to all of them right I mean 2020 has been a tough year but I feel like in like book releases I'm like really impressed and about like I feel like this year people finally like stepped out and then released some books that weren't as uh I don't know. When I look back at like last year's release and the year before, like I feel like we're getting, we're headed in the right direction. So hopefully mm-hmm. we stay in that mm-hmm. direction. But like the level of diversity in books that I saw released this year, hope it continues. No trends, you know, let's keep it going I from think here on. Yeah, I think we're headed in the right direction. It's just, I think there's going to be a rush in 18 months where it's going to be like this blood because of how long the publishing cycle right. is. So right. the real tell on if it's a trend is actually going to be in like two, two and a half years from now, yeah. which is kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> but there's going to be a major rush of mm-hmm. diversity in books in about 18 months. <laughs> right. So we'll see who's really ready. I yeah. Think- <laughs> I've also noticed, um, some other trends like just taking all the books because as we said we have 212 books that have arrived so far Uh, (laughs) which is I haven't read them all but you know I'm flipping through them you know it's just too much to like take in all at once they're they're really deep if you guys Mm -hmm. notice that like the 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 heavy subject matter and a little bit like there's like some existentialism happening and very poetic are they compared to when we did this last year I think they were a little more like on the surface you know what I have like baby philosophers pretty soon yeah Yeah. and I I, they're beautiful but I kind of wonder like when I do read them like is what is my kid gonna be getting like how how deep is she gonna get on this one I don't know so 
there's, we'll there's, find always, out. there's always a few books that you wonder if they're actually written for children. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Or... Yeah. Sometimes they make me feel really good, but then I'm like, hmm, that was for me, and I appreciate it, but... <laughs> Not great five-year-olds. They're picture books for adults to enjoy, and they're beautiful. But I I just, I don't know. Yeah, my kid, my kid is a little more on the glitter and (laughs) fart jokes level. To be perfectly honest. Hey, you got to mix it up. Yeah, have a little (laughs) philosophy and glitter, right? And a unicorn in the middle. Then there we go. A philosopher, (laughs) a philosophical unicorn that has. Farting problem. Glitter farts. Yes. <laughs> Glitter farts. Yeah. That's. Is, is there any agents listening? Would like to pitch that. Like to trademark that idea. Right now. Right now, ready to pitch it. Delisha and Alessandra present Glitter Fart, the unicorn <laughs> philosopher. Perfect. Then. I would read it oh, at man. least once. I would like if I yeah if that book came out I would at least like you said at least once not twice but at least. <laughs> it could be a scratch and sniff one you know oh my god too far <laughs> hey. too far I've got lots of angles working here fountain, of, a, ideas. fountain of ideas <laughs> somebody write this down. Time for a brainstorm session. It's going to live in infamy on the internet, so none of us have to write it down because it will soon just be on on the feed. That's right in the transcript. <laughs> All right. I am going to rein us back in because we're getting That's loopy. And Delisha, I'm sure you have to go eat dinner or something or live your life on Pacific time which we are not in Pacific time, but (laughs) can you tell us your favorite thing about Bookstagram and then also once more where people can find and follow all of your brilliant book recommendations? Yeah, I, Bookstagram, like I, I feel like, I mean, first of all, I met all of y'all through Bookstagram. So that's amazing to me. And like my husband makes fun of me because he's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, my bookstagram friends. <laughs> I sound like I'm like 12, but that's okay. But I'm like, you know, I feel like a real connection with y'all and a lot of the other people that I get to talk with through the interwebs in bookstagram. And as I said, I'm not big on social media. Like I have a Facebook, but I hate it there. Like I don't really go there. Um, I've deleted my personal page before. I kind of wanted to do the whole no social media thing, but I couldn't handle it. So Bookstagram is the place for me because there's not a lot of drama. Like I said, most people are like seriously there to share good book recs or if anything, like if there's drama, it's not really drama. It's like a good, like you said, librarian fight club. Like, what do you think about this book? Well, I think this and I think that. And then it's always like good insight. I can like get with both sides most of the time. Like, oh, good point. Oh, zinger. Like back and forth, but it's never, (laughs) you know, like true hatred for the most part. So I love that part of it. I love being able to once again, like talk with authors like that just makes me feel amazing. Um, Connecting with, like I've learned so much from like other teachers who are a part of the bookstagram world too. Um, Other activists and people that are doing some like amazing things in their communities. And then like the way that you can share ideas and like rally together to, you know, get money to support people, bail people out, send books to people, like whatever you need. I've seen people like sharing books, like creating almost like a bookstagram library situation where it's like, hey, I have this book, you need it, I'll mail it to you. You have this book, I'll mail it to you. So I think it's like one of those almost like rare places on the internet where people are actually pretty kind to each other for the most part. We're all here for the books. So there's like no external, uh, I guess, purpose for being there. I think all of us too are like not, most people don't join Bookstagram to become like rich and famous. So it's kind of, (laughs) I mean, that would be nice, right? Ellie's out now. She's deactivating tomorrow. (laughs) 
But I mean, you know, like it's not like we're really here for the books for the most part. Like if we really wanted to be rich and famous, we would be like, you know, I don't oh, know. Oh, for sure. Like, like protein shakes or something, you know? <laughs> so. Well, that's all I side gig. So. <laughs> <laughs> I need a protein shake to read all of those books, actually. Right? Okay, no. Another no. invention there. But yeah, so I think, I don't know. It's just the, so far it's been like a positive place and I've connected with a lot of people that, I mean, I never seriously would have connected with because we wouldn't have been in the same environment. So nice yeah. little ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, whenever I leave Instagram now, like, like to like briefly like check into the Facebook or the Twitter world, I'm like, oh gosh, what oh. have I done? Retreat, <laughs> retreat, this is awful. Twitter, everybody's scary. angry. It's so scary. And levels of scary. Everyone's a- Twitter is at the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. I'm afraid of it's Twitter. Like, a lot of anxiety there, you know. So yeah, fast. I don't even. Yeah, I don't even like repost over there anymore. <laughs> Our posts Sometimes automatically go to-, go to Twitter, but I do not go to Twitter. You just send them over there all by themselves, <laughs> yeah. out into space. Yeah, they're old enough to be let outside by themselves, so they can they can you handle their handle own. <laughs> Delisha, thank you so right. much for chatting with us yeah, no today. It was a dream. You're a dream. You're brilliant. So if you enjoyed listening to Delisha today, you can follow her at Little Black Book Nook. She also has a website and you should definitely go check out her PBS book list that she wrote because like I said, genuine celebrity here today. We interview a lot of celebrities in the picture book world, but Delisha is definitely at the top. And you can also find any other episodes of Picture Books to Gang wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are now on Amazon Music which is pretty rad, even though Amazon is quite a company. It's, it's, uh, but you can listen for free there. So it's fine. We're not giving Jeff Bezos money and we're not, we're not giving him any more millions of dollars than he already got. So wealth redistribution folks. I prefer Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) Have a wonderful night folks. (laughs) 